Welcome to the FNO InsureTech Podcast, a place where movers and shakers from all points within the insurance ecosystem gather and discuss all things InsureTech. We talk about how technology and innovation are affecting and driving change in the industry. Here are your hosts, Lee Boyd and Rob Beller. Hey, podcast world. We are back after a somewhat uh vacation hiatus hiatus good word that's i was searching for that well after a hiatus your favorite podcast in the entire world that's right mm-hmm. number one in mm-hmm. fact i think we're currently number one in the whole world in podcasts mm-hmm. that's what someone told me i can't verify but that's what someone uh-huh. told me oh yeah i mean i'll be walking down the street and i'll see somebody on their phone they're just listening to it i mean yeah we're so popular, even my wife listens to it. <laughs> now they know we're lying. Now they know we're now, lying. Now they know. Yeah. We're just kidding. We're not yeah. the most popular podcast in the world. But well, we are in the tech world. But you're listening to it right now. So what's that say? We're back and excited to be back. Welcome to FNO InsureTech, yeah. our little podcast that we share with you once a week or so. And I've been away. Um, Lee's been busy. and But we've uh, cleared the decks and it mostly driven by this, the annual celebration that's about to happen in Las Vegas, Nevada. Isn't that right, Lee? It's so right. It's the Super Bowl of Intratech, ITC. ITC is back. It's back, baby. Back at Mandalay Bay. Uh, just me, Lee, and 9,000 of our best friends. Isn't that crazy? We'll be there. Yeah. 9,000. Seven years ago, eight years ago, whenever this thing started. And I remember going, and it was a little over 1,000 people. I never thought there'd be 9,000 people who care enough about Introtech to be there. But there are. It's so wonderful to go there and to be there and to be uh, with so many people that we know. And that um, that we're familiar with, past guests, and uh, we invite you all to drop by and say hi, and we'll be running around like a couple of yo-yos that we are. Also, of course, always looking for party invitations. (laughs) Uh, Just throwing that out early. But mostly secret party invitations, please. Yeah. The the stuff that no one knows about, we want to be in those. Those, that's, That's right. That's yeah. right. The we don't salon. want to follow a sign this way to no. the so-and-so party. No, 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 no. Yeah. No, Off-site, no. you know, those no. sort of things. If you have a sign, don't invite us. <laughs> <laughs> we don't want to get too specific. But, but anyways, we, looking for. we we have a, a great friend and leader, clearly a leader in this whole business, and that's uh, Caribou Honig, who will enlighten us of what he's up to, where he's living. And what to look forward to. Yeah, um, we get to we get to take a little trip down memory lane, kind of how it all started, what he and Jay are up to these days, and and a little bit of the growth story. Cause as I said, this thing's been around for, for some years and it has just blossomed into the Super Bowl of events in the insurance space. So you don't need to hear any more from us. You'll hear it from him. Here we go with once again, we think our most a frequent guest on our podcast, Caribou Honig from InsureTech Connect. 
everybody. We're here with maybe the guest we've had on more times than anybody else on our podcast. Aren't we lucky? Perhaps approaching double digits. Perhaps. Perhaps. We've talked about him a lot. The only honorary chairman that we ever have on. We have with us again today, ready? Caribou Honig, co-founder and honorary chairman of ITC InsureTech Connect, among other things. Welcome back. Well, Rob Lee, thanks so much for having me here. Welcome. Uh, one of these days you're going to get tired of me. Your audience no. probably already is, but I appreciate uh, the chance to talk with you one more time. We'd love to have you on. We're so glad you're here. I can't imagine anybody but your wife getting tired of you. You're a delightful <laughs> character. A delight. Just a delight. I keep telling her I'm a delight. And uh, you're right. At, at a certain point, <laughs> she knows better. She's a little uh, I think I'm winning her over, though. So uh, uh, It just takes time. Just takes time. So live from Santa Fe, New Mexico. Is that right? That is correct. So uh, became an empty nester uh, about 15 months ago. And about five days after dropping the kid off at college, my wife and I loaded the dogs in the SUV and started driving west and uh, resettled into Santa Fe, uh, which we love. You know, and it's a, you know, it's a little closer to uh, Las Vegas than uh, that's true. Richmond, so that's nice. Too. That's true. It's a lot closer. Why Santa Fe? Why Santa Fe? Why not Santa Fe? The, the, the mountains, the culture, the food, the people. And look, it, at a certain point, Santa Fe... I think most people like visiting it. You know, it's interesting for a little bit different place for a few days. If you don't mind that there aren't a lot of bodies of water and you you like a thousand shades of tan, it's a yeah. wonderful place. It's going to be a magical place. Uh, it's a great uh, place. To get drawn in. I'll say this. Anybody I know who moves to New Mexico is very happy about it. So there must be something going on there that is uh, very pleasant and uh, enjoyable. There's a lot of self-selection there. Um, if you ask my uh, sons, you know, age 19 and 21, it's pretty boring town uh, <laughs> for me and my wife. That's okay, though, right? As long as you enjoy it and you like it, that's all that matters. That's right. They're welcome to visit. They don't need to stay. They, they can visit anytime. Don't have to stay. Does this make you the founding member of... Um, InsureTech Santa Fe. It may make me the only member of InsureTech Santa Fe. I'm not sure. Although actually there's a, like a year or two ago, there was a sort of uh, InsureTech meetup actually in Santa oh, Fe. Okay. There's also a uh, regulatory innovation kind of meetup that happens once a year called Smoke Tree. Um, oh, that's cool. So there's a little bit here, but you know, look, this is a small city or a big town, depending on your perspective. So speaking of regulatory, I know you're going to be moderating a panel at ITC, and we'll talk about that for a second. But let's start with just a second of history. This is ITC number which? Seven. I'd have to, this is just the audio, so I can count on my fingers. Yeah, you can count. I think it's number seven, maybe number eight. Um, okay. and, you know, COVID was a blur on this kind of thing. Yeah, right. right. Yeah, right. we don't count that one year. Right. And you're here as the honorary chairman. What, what, give us some uh, information of what that is and what. Yeah. That is. So, so look, uh, you know, uh, I think most of your uh, listeners will know that along with Jay Weintraub, I co founded InsureTech Connect. Uh, you know, there's a, the old saying that in your career, you're going to have like most three really good ideas. This happened to be one of my three uh, really good ideas. And, uh, you know, we, we launched it, we built it up. Eventually, we sold it, right? It's a real business. It's also our baby. So we have quite a lot of emotional connection to it. But, uh, you know, we, we eventually got off the cap table, so to speak. 
And yet, right, we still do everything we can to help see it succeed, both for the for the event itself, for the organization, but also for the attendees. Like it's important to uh, do our little part to help move the the industry forward and have it be a great experience for ITC. So now I get to be honorary chairman. Uh, as you say, rather than the, I, I, you know, look, I, I'm, I'm really just a nice figurehead. And, and I always <laughs> have been a nice figurehead. Like, that's the truth of that. Jay and his team did the real work when we were launching and growing it. I just sort of helped on the margins and I get to keep helping a little bit on the margins. It's good to be a figurehead. You know, honestly, you embodied the kind of the vibe of InsureTech Connect for many years. And I mean, it was it was a it was an extension of you. It, it was your great idea, or a great idea that you got to first, and you guys executed on it in a in a really fabulous way. Just to give some context, year one was how many people about roughly about fifteen hundred. Don't tell the fire marshal that, uh, but yeah, about fifteen hundred. <laughs> and and, and what, we were, were, what were you hoping for? We were hoping for six hundred to a thousand. Wow. We said to ourselves, if we can get in the very first year, 600 to 1,000 attendees, it means that we're onto something, there's value for people, and it's worth doing again. Mm -hmm. uh, and we got 1,500, and then the next year, we literally, and this never happens, we literally sold out right, back to the fire marshal and maxed out at 3,500. And it was so weird because we had people like reaching out at the last minute saying, okay, what can I do to get a ticket? I've got to get my, got to get a ticket. How uh, crazy. It was amazing. What a great feeling that is. Well, it, it is that sort of customer feedback. You know, a lot of us work in industries where you're, you're kind of arm's length from the end customer, from an actual human being. Right. right. Not, it doesn't have to be as bad as they're just a number, but like, you know, you're not really seeing and talking to the end customer in a meaningful way and getting that, that visceral feedback. Right. And one of the things that I, I've gotten addicted to on the conference side is that that emotional feedback from people. It's, it's why I still, when I walk the halls, I say, I, I try to walk up to people and say, okay, what's working for you here? Like, what's good? What's bad? What's interesting? Have you met anyone that you want to follow up with? It just sort of, I love that kind of feedback loop. Yeah. Do you consider yourself an insure tech professional or a conference professional or both? <laughs> well, as you know, I like to wear hats. And yes, uh, yes. in this case, I get to wear a few different hats. It's a little schizophrenic. When I introduce, I, when I introduce myself to people, I've noticed that I'm w way more interesting if I describe myself as a conference professional. Like, oh, oh, okay. Yeah, together, thousands of people in industry tech conferences. Like, really? Wow. How does that happen? Where's it? You know, it's up like. And then I say, oh, and I also do a bunch of venture capital stuff. And I'm like, oh, okay, sure. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, the, whatever. The, uh, whereas if I say, oh, yeah, I do venture capital, then it starts out with, oh, well, okay, fine, whatever that means. And then, but I also help uh, bring together thousands of people for industry conferences. And I go, oh, tell me more about that. It's really been a uh, odd experience, I have to admit. Even like insurance professionals right, are much more interested in, in hearing what I have to say. I mean, you guys, if I were just another VC, you wouldn't really want me on the podcast. You wouldn't care. I get it. I mean, yeah. But, oh, you, you helped uh, organize a, a, a pretty nice InsureTech conference. Please come on Me, over and over again. Yeah. So this year, how many people? Uh, you know, we, we won't know till we know, but I think it's going to be 9,000 plus. You know, the, I was the, reading online. It looks like over 9,000 people. Congratulations. What unbelievable growth. That's and, and it's over some, you know, it's over Halloween. 
Yes. Right. So right. there's some there's some things that I kind of thought it might be down, some friction. but some friction. yeah, some friction. But it and there's a lot going on in Vegas that weekend. But everybody I've talked to said, no, you, you know, you go to the conference. That's what you got to do. Well, look, it, it's also you know the Halloween thing. Totally get, of course, and you know I'm I'm fortunate this sense uh, at this moment to be an empty nester, so that doesn't not deal for me. And I mean, look, Halloween in Vegas, in Vegas, <laughs> very, really Halloween in Vegas, thing one way or the other. Yes, um, it, it could go both ways. That's right. I think it's still super efficient for people who wants to fly to twenty different places to meet with twenty different people when everyone converges on one location. Mm-hmm. You're exhausted by the end, but it still means that you get to have those 20 conversations with just one flight. So what does it say about InsureTech, the phenomenon, the, the business, that you've seen this incredible growth, like you said, lots of people wanting to get together and meet and talk all in one spot. Let's talk for a minute about what InsureTech is today from your perspective as somebody who's been involved in it from a couple different directions. Well, you know, I think InsureTech has followed to a T the classic hype cycle kind of graph. Like, okay, first there was nothing. And then there's this sort of amazing snowball of energy and interest and buzz and hype. And everyone's trying to figure out what's going on. And then a couple companies IPO. And then everything comes back down to a little bit more reality. Yeah. And from there, people can then begin the the long, hard process of building real businesses over time. And it's much more linear rather than exponential when it's doing that. I saw this in fintech as well. I was a fintech investor starting in 2008, and we we went through a cycle there. And investors, and to some extent, some entrepreneurs, seem to mistake scalability for sustainability. Like like that's my my hobgoblin here is it's got to be about building a sustainable and scalable business, right? Yeah. Growth at all costs, right? Has been tried over and over. And not to say that a handful of people don't get very wealthy if they get the timing right when with growth at all costs, but uh, no, it's got to be sustainable. And I think you're seeing now some of the sustainable businesses and products emerge. I'm not going to say that, you know, the history books are closed on that yet, but you know, I've got my own theories about where the sustainability is going to come from, how you're going to build a sustainable business. I mean, I, one of my key talking points these days is the focus on a niche uh, opportunity. I actually think that particularly in InsureTech, where, or insurance broadly, right, where it's such a large market, but also a complicated market, you're way better off as an entrepreneur starting with some defined niche where maybe others are good at it, but few or no one else is great at it. And your job is to become great at it. And by the way, that tends to, that lends itself to actually good sustainable margins right? and steady growth when you are great at something competing with a bunch of folks who are merely good at it. And once you become great at it and got some market share, then you can start to, then you can start to earn your way, earn the privilege of getting into adjacencies, whether it's adjacent population segments with a similar product other products to the same population. But I, I think that, you know, particularly not so much B2B, but the you know, consumer or customer facing insurtech, start with a niche, crush it, and then earn your way to to moving to adjacency. So 
Okay, I'll give you a couple examples. And I'm I'm talking my own book. I've got uh, economic interest in these companies, so you know that's my full disclosure. But like uh, Kin in the homeowner space, very focused on Florida, at least for the first few years of its life, starting to expand into additional states now. Florida is a bit of a tricky market. I hear it's it's a little spicy down there. I hear, and if you're not great at it. I think the technical term here is I think you're screwed if you are not great at doing homeowners insurance in Florida, but you're still issuing policies there. It's it's a it's a tricky market. Can focus on okay, what do we got to do to be great at Florida homeowners? That's Florida's still a big niche, right, so to speak. Right. Uh, but it's a very targeted, specific problem statement there. Uh, another company, jewelry insurance, right? There's a company, Brightco, uh, which is focused on jewelry insurance which is, you know, again, a niche. I don't think there are many SVPs at big insurance companies whose primary job is solving for jewelry insurance. Right. right. Um, it's an add-on. It's a bolt-on for most of them. There's a couple, mm-hmm. you know, monolines focused on it. Fine. But it's the advantage also of being in a niche is it tends to be less intensively competitive. So you can become great at it and you're not necessarily in a knife fight fighting off, uh, you know, two dozen other uh, contenders. So, you know, I think that's that's part of what we're seeing when if you ask me what the trends are and what we'll look back three years from now, where, you know, where's the, the hype gone? Uh, I think it as the tide washes away, it goes to some of these niche players, niche you're, to start. You're talking about the maturation of an industry, and it's basically following the same pattern that almost every industry fo- has followed, you know, over time. I love your characteristic there, Rob. Maturation of, of an industry insurance is what, like 400 years old now? So well, it's finally maturing. Yeah. That's good. It's about time. That's true. It's really a sub-industry, yeah. right? Yeah. That's a great point. But we've seen it even in the short time that the three of us have been involved in InsureTech. We've seen just exactly what you're talking about. And we've seen people go after, have enormous ambitions that have crash to the ground because I think it's easy to underestimate a lot of the incumbents. Stodgy, old, not exciting, boring, but guess what? They're all still here today. Right. uh, They haven't disappeared. Yeah. Depending on what state you're in, actually. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll nudge on that a little bit just for the fun of it. Uh, the, uh, you know, and stick with homeowners, right, which is, I think, the most, wouldn't be quite right to say the most exciting uh, category today, but it's certainly like in making, makes the most headlines. You know, like this is part of what created the opportunity for Kin is seeing lots of the incumbents at least stop writing new policies, if not actually exit the market. Yeah. Uh, so, no, of, of course, uh, you know, uh, State Farm is still around, but is State Farm writing policies in Florida? Uh, I'm not so sure they are. Well, I think, you know, that it makes me think about the very first conference or two of ITC. You, you would go one year, you would meet these interesting companies, you'd show up the next year and they were gone. They weren't. And it was kind of like you said, it was growth at all cost. But then they realized how in the world am I going to stabilize this thing? But now you're going to ITC and you are seeing the same companies. And I think uh, you're right that companies are starting to figure out it's not just about this this new thing. They're finding that niche and then they're growing from there. Is that is that something you, you agree with, Caribou? Yeah, I, I think so. Look, at, at the end of the day, right, there has to be convergence between what the incumbents do and do well and what the startups do 
and what they do well. Well, one of the, you know, look, there's a, there's a really great saying by another VC around, you know, do, do the startups get distribution before the incumbents get innovation? A great saying, very insightful. I think it is incomplete, but it is accurate. Because uh, And it's incomplete because it looks at things from kind of a marketing lens, right? And so I would offer an equally incomplete uh, and hopefully accurate uh, variation on it, uh, which is there's also this, this question of whether the incumbents can get the economies of software before the startups can get the economies of scale. What I mean by that is that when, when you're starting out as a, as a you know, customer-facing full stack or maybe an MGA, you don't have scale, right? Uh, almost by definition, because you're starting out. And it's going to be a while before you have, you know, meaningful scale of even, you know, number 12 largest uh, carrier. And so you're going to be at a fundamental, uh, you know, short to medium term cost disadvantage during that time. And just like you are. So why do you have any shot at all of competing there? Well, uh, from an operational perspective, because you can, you can get the economies of software, right? Software can make things cheaper to do um, in the same way that having scale can make things cheaper to do. So I, as a startup, need to leverage all the economies of software I can get. And I will inexorably, as long as I keep succeeding and growing, I'll get the economies of scale. Like, that'll come. The incumbents, right, they start with the scale, in effect, right? And if they're an incumbent and they don't have scale, well, that's a whole nother. They won't be an incumbent for long. Right. And their job is to get the economies of software. And I think they know that, right? There's all these cost efficiencies of, of uh, sort of refactoring how they do business by using software. And, you know, AI is just another uh, domino in that chain. Yeah, I would say, though, right, it's inexorable that a, a winning startup will eventually get economies of scale, right? They just need to grow into it. It's not inexorable in the same way for an incumbent to get the economies of software, right? It's not that just doing more of the same will eventually get them the economies of software. They've got to kind of do things different than in the past to get those those benefits. Yeah, I would like to ask. Uh, so I just came back from a conference. It was it was a program space insurance conference called Target Markets, and one of the big subjects was M and A mergers and acquisitions and how it's so big right now. And we can see that a lot in the brokerage space, the agency space. How has the M and A market over the past seven eight years? affected the insurer techs? And do you think that we'll see a different trend or do we see the M&A trend continuing in that space? What, what, what's your thought on that? Yeah, look, I think a little bit, it does follow the hype cycle mm -hmm. we talked about before. And it's always, you know, what are the alternatives if you're in the shoes of the startup or the investors in the startup? If your business is going gangbusters and you built a sustainable business, M&A is a it could be a, an ultimate path, but you know some buyers going to have to really pay up because I've got a sustainable business, and I don't think buyers right now are all that excited to pay up. Quite frankly, a little bit of okay, let's let's see how things shake out because some buyers got burned. You know, yeah. I, I, I'm not sure that Prudential is is all that happy with a multi billion dollar acquisition they made a couple of years ago. Maybe they are. I don't have any inside scoop. I'm just like, yeah, it doesn't sound like it quite went to plan, and boy, they they paid you know, a, a solid premium for what they were getting. And, you know, hats off to the, to the uh, entrepreneurs there who sold right, <laughs> um, on that. I think that the, you know, with the IPO market all but closed means that if I really need large amounts of capital 
you know, it's hard for me to get it through that. Private investors, right, PE funds, VC funds are particularly cautious right now. It's not, it's not the worst funding market I've seen. You know, on a scale of one to 10, I'd, I'd call it a three right now with a you know decent shot at getting to a four or a five next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when, when the funding markets are tighter, it makes M&A more appealing Right. Sometimes, you know, it's the only way to keep things going. Right. On the mm-hmm. entrepreneur. And if I'm the acquirers, again, I think that they're kind of a little bit of wait and see what's real, what's hype. I think that they're just a little cautious. And valuations? Uh, so I'll speak to InsureTech as part of FinTech broadly, where yeah, there's a little more data. During the height of the froth about two years ago, uh, 20x revenue run rate was not unusual. I don't know that it was the average, but it was not unusual. And the long-term average, probably about 10x. So you can you can see that it was a frothy period. And I'm not even referring to M&A multiples. I'm just referring to you know VC funding multiples of these companies. And now it's more like 4x to 6x. Uh, now that's starting to recover. And as you look at the public companies, uh, the ones that IPO'd in the last couple of years in the fintech uh, arena, you're seeing some recovery. And again, I think a lot of it, I think that like 4X to 6X, like I said, it's about half of the long-term type of multiple. I think that it is actually reflective of what I call Schrodinger's company. For the... uh, for the for the non-physics uh, majors in the in the audience, there there's a, a really weird thing in, in quantum mechanics. Schrodinger's cat. Uh, in short, uh, you put a cat in a box, you point a gun at the box, you tie the trigger to the state of a uh, subatomic particle, and quantum mechanics says, look, it's uh, until you actually find out the state of that particle, until you actually open the box, the cat is. It's not that the cat is unknown whether it's dead or alive. It's that it's in a, a mixed state of being both dead and alive. Right? Very counterintuitive, hard to wrap your head around conceptually, but the sort of the math and the experiments kind of kind of support that. Well, I think some of these companies in that have gone public are uh, in a sort of Schrodinger's company. Investors aren't sure if the company is dead or alive, right? So they're sort of valuing it as half dead and half alive, because. If it's actually alive, if it's actually, if they built a sustainable long-term business that will cash flow and so on, then, well, these companies that with their growth rate, with their margins, they deserve the 10X at least. But if I can't tell if the company's actually, you know, fundamentally bankrupt in its business strategy and eventually headed for the Deadpool, then I have to also mix in a 0X. So when I, you know, one of my favorite companies out there, prior investor, a company called Remitly in the international money uh, remittance space. And, uh, you know, it's trading around five, six X now was worse than that. What I would tell people is, look, I know that its current multiple is wrong. It should not be like a five X multiple. Maybe it should be a 10 X. That's reasonable. Maybe it should be a zero X. Fine. Right? I might be mistaken about my thing and it's a great company. And if that's the case, then zero X is totally the right multiple for it. It should go, go to nothing. But the one thing I know is the sort of middle midpoint isn't the right multiple. It's just this blend of what's unknown about it. What is going to bring back, maybe not the froth, but bring back more higher valuation to the market? Is it the cost of money? What, what's what's going to drive that back to where a place where the insurtechs are going to uh, be a little well, happier about it? You bring up the cost of money, right? Macroeconomics matter. 
And so that is rightfully going to impact the valuation uh, of everything. Now, valuation and excitement are not the same thing, right? That there's, you know, building big businesses and sustainable businesses that don't necessarily get the highest valuation. Now, as, as an investor, I want, don't get me wrong, I want to see really good multiples and, and good exits and so on. But to some extent, that is against the backdrop of, you know, monetary policy, fiscal policy, whatever the macro that's going on. I think more specifically, though, for insure tech, right, um, separate from the macro, is basically seeing these companies actually deliver the combination of scalability and sustainability. Fulfill and some, their promise. Or some explanation, some rationale uh, about why that they're able to do so. You know, essentially to demonstrate this great combination of economies of scale and economies of software under one roof. Like, I think that'll get people excited. Um, and then, you know, when you get this next wave of folks doing their IPOs, that will be new beacons, new high watermarks, I think. Because if I'm trying to invest even in an early stage, yet alone a late stage insure tech, I kind of need to understand, well, what's, what's the exit path? And I think part of the dialogue is, well, gee, if, if lemonade is trading under a billion dollars, right, yeah. and you want me to invest in your Series C at 700 million, you know, where's the upside, right? Because you kind of got to assert at that point that either lemonade is, um, you know, way undervalued, or you got to assert that you're just a hell of a lot better company than lemonade, right? Either are, you know, reasonable arguments you want to make, but like, you, you don't have the high watermark. Yeah. I want to go back a little bit to the conference. We're, we're talking about all these companies, and I think there was a little bit of quietness over the past year or two. Some people are thinking that, you know, InsureTech's not quite as big as it was those years. But I, I'm actually, I'm looking at the map of the of the floor at the at the conference, and there are so many fascinating companies that are in this space. And there's even more that I don't even know about yet that I'm excited to go meet at this conference. For anybody who thinks that insured tech is kind of slowed, I think I think that map, the floor map, uh, would would tell a different story. Is that is that what what you think, Caribou? Oh, I, I look. I think there's still tons of energy. I think there's lots of innovation happening. I think a little bit more of the energy has actually shifted from yeah. the customer facing insure techs over to the B2B. Look, at the, at the end of the day, an insurance job, right? what's their job? It's, it's to take the um, baseline technologies, right? Smartphone and AI and satellites and all that good stuff and productize it in some form or fashion so it can be useful to the insurance industry. That's what your job as an insure tech is. And there's two main routes to that. You can say, okay, I'm going to, you know, basically take ownership for the entire value chain. And in doing that, I'm going to apply and incorporate those baseline technologies uh, into how I, you know, provide insurance to people and businesses. And that's what I'm going to do. Great. Uh, and the rewards of that, if you get it right, you know, it can be quite large. The other path for an insure tech to do its job, so to speak, is to take some baseline technology, build some easily usable product out of it, usable by an insurance company or a reinsurer or a broker, and so that it becomes a better mousetrap as part of their value chain. It's a different strategy. Um, it is, I think, generally a lower risk strategy because you got to be 
great at solving for that one sort of point solution of it. You also have to be really good at B2B selling, which is a, a whole different skill set, of course, especially into the insurance industry. But you don't have to be great at everything in insurance, just at that piece of it. So generally, I think the upside is a little bit less, but I think that the risk of it uh, is a little bit lower. Like it's, you don't have to worry, if you're a B2B, you don't have to worry about uh, your loss ratio. You don't need to worry about uh, the unit economics nearly so much, right? If you are basically commercializing, productizing some baseline technology, like if you're not getting 70% plus gross margin on day one, you're doing something wrong, right? Because you, generally your product is, you know, some sort of uh, software or data or, you know, high margin function in effect. You're uh, leading a panel in uh, regulation. I've heard you mention and speak about regulation many times. What, what, what's your interest from, uh, you have a particular interest in it. Can you talk about that? Well, look, whatever game we play, we're playing it with some sort of rules, right, of the board. And woe be to the insurer or to the startup that doesn't understand what those rules are and doesn't know how to engage to sort of further, you know, apply those rules into its, integrate them into their business strategy. And so, you know, we, we don't innovate in a vacuum. Maybe, that, maybe that's my, my best way to say it. We don't innovate in a vacuum. We need to understand both the letter of the regulations and their spirit to understand, okay, what are they really trying to accomplish? What are the regulators quietly seeking to shut down? And what are they quietly seeking to, to elevate? And, and by the way, I think the, the regulators are broadly very pro-innovation. They just don't want it to, they, they worry about the unintended knock-on effects way more than, you know, the entrepreneur or sometimes even the incumbents might, because uh, that's their job, right? To make sure that the system is protected and the, the customers are protected, like at the end of the day. And so they've got to be mindful of unintended consequences, but also mindful of unintended consequences of the regulations themselves, right? If they want to see homeowners protected from wildfires, right, they've got to be thoughtful about how the regulations on pricing predictions of wildfires are based, right? California has gone through this very, very recently, right? Sort of the, the regulatory debate around are insurers allowed to price uh, based on what they believe is the future risk or only price off of historical risk? Well, in a stable world, of course, those should be the same thing. Uh, but in a world, if you believe that the propensity for wildfires is increasing, compared to the past, well, then it's no surprise that if you can't price off of future risk, then you're going to have a lot of people not willing to price at all. That's a regular, that's at the intersection of regulatory and innovation. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, a lot of the innovators within, uh, within the incumbents and the startups are trying to figure out things like wildfire risk. But if I know I can't price for it, even if I crack the code and say, oh, well, that house has a 10x higher wildfire risk uh, than, than it used to, well, then what's the point, right? And if there's no point, because the, regula the regulations, forget the regulators, not about the people, but if the regulations prohibit it, well, I as a VC am not going to fund making better predictions about wildfire risk in the future, at least not for insurance purposes. So, you know, you, you start to get a nasty knock-on effects, unintended, I believe, but still pretty nasty the regulations prohibit pricing off of future risk. It rolls downhill. Yeah. What they do 
downstream affects a lot of things. Yeah, so I, I think it's super informative and interesting to yeah. have these conversations with, with the regulators. When, when we started ITC, we had three pillars we were looking to serve, right? The entrepreneurs, the investors like me, and the innovation executives from within the industry. And after a couple of years, we realized that there was, so our mistake, right? We, we, we were blind initially to the fourth pillar, right? Yeah. The regulators. So I'm, I'm thrilled to have that fourth pillar really you know, prominent now at ITC. It's clever that you guys saw that and that, that you included them. I remember hearing about it the first year. I think you talked about it from the main stage. Yeah, I, I was about to say that. Like year four, you made a huge deal about it, about the number of regulators who were there. I did have a slide. I'll send you, the, you, you all this slide. Maybe you can use it for the uh, teaser for this yeah. podcast. But my slide basically uh, saying hug a regulator when you see them. Yeah. Make them feel well. <laughs> I still remember that. I still remember that. So- in the few minutes we have left, what can you plug for us about the conference? What are you looking forward to? What invitations to secret parties do you have for us, et cetera? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you the invitations for secret parties after. Uh, otherwise, I'm pretty sure they won't be quite okay. so secret. Good call. Um, Good call. Look, uh, you know, I, I try to keep my calendar actually quite flexible during ITC. You know, it's, it's a little bit of uh, the good fortune of my role at it. You know, I, I wear the hat. I walk down the halls. People stop me. I get to have interesting conversations. I get the benefit of serendipity. And, you know, I'll, I'll peek my head in on a bunch of the panels and speeches and things like that. But I've got a short attention span. So I'll pop my head in, listen for three minutes, and then move on to the next thing. And this year, I've got a, a heck of a dance card. I'm going to be busy. Oh, but normally I don't have this dance card though. Okay, you got to be here, then here, then here, then here, and meet this person. Normally it's like, okay, you got a couple of meetings, but otherwise you can wander the hallways like normal. This year, I'll, I mean, I'll be wandering the hallways. I, I've got to, otherwise I'll uh, uh, my head will explode. But right. um, you know, I think that it's just there's a lot of interesting people to talk to on sort of every category. Right. There's some startups I'm, I'm looking forward to talking with. Uh, there's some carriers I'm looking forward to. Some brokers. Uh, I mean, just the, the whole shebang. That's great. And just before we close, what are you up to? What's your day job now? <laughs> my wife asks me that on occasion. My younger son keeps asserting that all I do is play World of Warcraft all day. That's why I'm at my computer. Uh, <laughs> I have primarily two day jobs. I'm a conference. I help launch and uh, grow conferences. Uh, like I said, I always start with that. It makes me more interesting. I'm working with Jay. The same Jay is behind ITC. We've got a conference focused on uh, logistics and supply chain tech. Fascinating. We've got one on prop tech. Uh, oh, awesome. We've got another one coming up in April called Medicarians, which is really focused on age tech, which is an interesting subsector. So, you know, I, I don't fortunately have to do that much work there because Jay has a real team that does the real work. Uh, but I get to be a nuisance, you know, on occasion. And then theoretically, my, my real day job as a general partner at a VC fund called Semperverance, uh, we're very focused actually on uh, the employer side of things. And I like to say investing in companies that drive the success of employers or their employees. That covers some fintech and insure tech, of course, which is where I tend to get my hands uh, in, the, in the weeds. A lot of workforce software, a lot of, and then actually a lot of healthcare and healthcare, healthcare tech. Because in the U.S., you're either getting your healthcare from, you know, Medicare, Medicaid, or from your employer. And then, you know, we, we I like to say we deserve to exist because we've got, you know, this sort of amazing ecosystem we've assembled 
you know, over 100 HR executives, some benefits brokers, some payroll companies that were sort of in the mix. We actually have now, uh, we're at the hopefully uh, home stretch of raising for fund three that we've been investing out of now for a few months. We have uh, several uh, insurance carriers as LPs and oh, not great. just as money, but we think of them and I, I sure hope that they think of us as strategic in the relationship. Mm-hmm. You know, there's some, some not hopefully not surprising uh, relationships and value there. So that's, that's so great. And you have a little time to watch some of those New Mexico sunsets. A little bit of time for that. I, I try to uh, do at least 10 miles of hiking each week when possible. So I don't know if I'll be able to pull that next week when I'm in Vegas, but uh, maybe I'll get in as many steps wandering the ITC halls. <laughs> no question. One thing we know for sure, bring good shoes. Well, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us. And please send our best to Jay. We miss having him on. And we'll look forward to seeing you soon in Las Vegas. Excellent. Look forward to it. Thanks so much, Caribou. Well, once again, the man comes through. The man, the myth, the legend. He said yes. We asked him. He said yes. He said yes. He said yes to the dress. All those years ago, just out of the blue, you asked him to be on. He said, sure. Why not? I like to say yes. And one uh, of our, uh, maybe our first guest, our first four guests. He was an uh, early guest. He was one of the first four. He was very kind to us and he's introduced us to numerous people over the years. We've built a little rapport there and I look forward to seeing him next week. I, I, I look forward to seeing him in the hallway. I think that he's such an important part of the whole ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, and clearly one of the one of the great characters in the business. So um, we thank him for being with us, and we thank you all for listening. And we'll see you in Las Vegas. And until then, goodbye, everybody.